First Corinthians chapter two, please. Beginning to read the first one. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech or of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew. For had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Now, will you keep your Bible open there, please, for we're going to refer to this portion of Scripture. Let's pray. Father, will you take again your precious word and inscribe it on every single heart and glorify the Lord Jesus Christ, your only begotten Son. Father, touch us, we pray. Move upon us. Stir our hearts. Convict us. Compel us. Convince us. Whatever your will is to do with us. And glorify your name. For Jesus' sake we ask it. Amen. This morning we want to look at your faith, the wisdom of God, or pardon me, the wisdom of men, and the power of God. Let me say it again. Your faith, the wisdom of men, and the power of God. Verse 5 says that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Notice, your faith, the wisdom of men, the power of God. In other words, when you and I are saved, when you and I have given our lives to Christ, our faith in him alone, our faith in him in us through the power of his spirit. Here's our faith, the wisdom of men, and the power of God. Now, in between our faith and in between the power of God, many times there's a hindrance. There's a hindrance to those who are unsaved because they look to the wisdom of men rather than rely on the life-changing soul-saving power of God. Your faith is here. The wisdom of men may pollute you. And then we see a lack in the power of God. Your faith is here. The wisdom of men may block you, cause us to think different, stinking thinking as it's been called before, causes us to have unbelief. Causes us to be cold in heart. The wisdom of men pollutes our minds. 
or whether it be from atheist backgrounds, they say there is no God, and after a while of being bombarded with it in society, we start to doubt at times. But our faith isn't to stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. For maybe we're looking at at a circumstance that seems never-ending, and we're wondering, where are you, Lord? And our faith then seems to stand in the wisdom of men, rather than the power of God. And it's that which blocks us between our faith and the power of God. When we pray, we're praying in faith in Christ. And what happens? Things come to us. And men come to us. Women come to us. The things that hinder us. What they think, say, believe, how they've reacted, acted, or even got on with us. The wisdom of men may be ecclesiastical wisdom where it becomes a a religious ceremony. This This is how you approach God. This is what it must be like. This is what you must do. It may be a denomination. But rather, the power of God is left out of it. You see, a man and a woman, one can only be saved by the power of God. We can't even understand the things of the kingdom, save the power of God coming upon us, the Holy Ghost quickening us. We can't see the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, dying for us, except the power of God come on us, the Holy Ghost come on us. We can't receive the Lamb of God as our sin-bearer and our payment of sin, unless the Holy Spirit, the power of God, is upon us. And what happens in many areas, in many venues, in many churches, in denominations, is they tell us that your faith rests in the church. If your faith rests in the church or anywhere else, it's not a, your faith isn't true. Because the Bible tells us our faith must be given, imputed, imparted. And it's the faith that is given to us through the Spirit. Here is the wisdom of men. The wisdom of men say it must be done in a ritual like this. It must be a ceremony like this. And the power of God is left out of it. And we find at the end of it that we're lost. We're not saved at all. The power of God is found in the cross of Calvary. The power of God is in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ being shed there. That is the power of God. It isn't a failure. It isn't a, a, a plan B, he died, because look what our reading even says this morning. Look what it says in verse 8, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. In other words, the demonic influences behind, behind the Pharisees movement of the Jewish Pharisees and scribes and the Sadducees and the, the Roman soldiers and, and Pontius Pilate and so on, the, the, the spirit behind them was to kill the Christ of God. It was the spirit of the Antichrist, the spirit of the devil. This isn't God's son. This man is a liar. This man can't save you. This man is just a man. This man is only a prophet. His blood means nothing. He's a criminal. He's a transgressor, and he's crucified on a cross with other criminals. That was the wisdom of men done that. That was men's minds, mentality and wisdom. And if they hadn't known the true wisdom behind it, the Apostle Paul tells us, he tells us in verse 6, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world. Paul's saying, look, the world thinks that we're mad. 
believing in a man who went to a cross and died and that he is God bearing our sin and shame and sicknesses in his own body on the tree. And he went to the tomb. He went right into the grave and they sealed it with a stone and they put a Roman uh, soldiers at it to guard it. Yet on the third day, he was raised again from the dead and ascended into glory. And he's coming again. And, and Paul says, they think we're mad. The wisdom of this world thinks if you're a Christian, you believe in fantasies and fairy tales and little stories. You see, there, that's man's wisdom. And what happens is your faith, with man's wisdom, nullifies, as it were, the power of God. God's always powerful, but the power of God in and through your life. God's healing power. God's healing power. Here's your faith. Lord, you can do this. Man's wisdom says, no, he doesn't. But God's power says, yes, I do. And in between that, man's wisdom holds us from our faith being fully developed. So your faith, the wisdom of men and the power of God. Here's something about your faith. That is, if you're born again of the Spirit. Your faith if you're saved and trusting in Jesus. First of all, it's personal. Personal faith between you and God. Secondly, it's particular faith. We have faith for different things. We get on a bus and have faith in a driver to take us to our destination. But that's not the faith that saves. Religious faith is not the faith that saves. But particular faith is the faith that's given to us to be able to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. Particular faith is saving faith. And you've received it if you're a Christian, if you're born again. If you've received Christ as your Savior, you have received Personal faith and particular faith. Also, the faith, thirdly, is peculiar. Let me think peculiar is strange. No, we'll look at it in a moment. It's peculiar faith. And fourthly, it's precious faith. It's precious because of the source. It's precious because of its source. So notice, your faith, it's personal because it's yours between you and God. Secondly, it's particular because it's saving faith that others haven't received that are unsaved. Thirdly, it's peculiar faith. It's imputed. In other words, God has come and done the work to give you it. And fourthly, it's precious because it's powerful because of its source coming from God. The Holy Spirit, the agent of our faith, Jesus speaks of him in John chapter 16 and verse 8. And listen to what Jesus says. I haven't time to read a lot of it, but listen to this, one verse. And when he has come... He will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now, Jesus says he's going to die, go to the grave, rise again, ascend into glory, and he's going to come back again. But in the meantime, the Holy Spirit will come and he will reprove the world of sin. In other words, the Holy Spirit speaking to a heart. The Holy Spirit speaking to a life. It's God's particular faith personally coming into that person, into that man or woman. What made you think of God? Because, you see, we're dead in our trespasses and in our sins. What made you call on the name of the Lord, Christian? Because we were dead in our trespasses and in our sins. What made you give your life to Christ? Because you were dead. Spiritually dead in your trespasses and in your sins. What made you think, I need saved? What made you realize you're a sinner before holy God? Because in our sins, we don't recognize our sin. 
we always think we're good. They were a good person. They are a good person. But the Bible says there is none good. That is, in God's standard, you may be humanly good, but according to God's standard, he says there is none good. Listen, no, not one. Romans 3 and 23 tells us, for all have sinned. That's every single one of us. That's including the man that you're listening to. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You see, every single one of us had to have a quickening experience of God to be able to look to him. To be able to look to him. And when he has come, he will reprove the world of sin. In other words, he shows the sinner their need of a savior. I'm not right with God. I know I've sinned where before we never thought of it. And of righteousness, he says. In other words, here is man. Here is Christ's righteousness and his standard. And of judgment. Here is judgment at the end of our lives. Sin, righteousness, judgment. We are heading to judgment. We are heading to the broad, on the broad road to destruction. And at that day, it is appointed on the man once to die. It is appointed on every single one of us. After this, the judgment. And where we have rejected or accepted Christ and his precious blood for our only payment for our sin is where and how we will stand before God. So here's man, every one of us. Here is judgment and here's righteousness. We cannot get that standard. So we're all headed to judgment. And when we get there, we're all lost and we're damned forever. There's no second chances and there's no purgatories and there's, there's no inner chambers. Here we have man, sin, judgment, righteousness. And so the Holy Spirit, Jesus said, would come and he'll speak to you and he'll say, you're a sinner and there's your judgment. You're a sinner and you're on that road. You must be righteous before God. And you and I realize we can't get that righteousness. We can't attain to God's righteousness. There's no works. There's no church. There's no religion. There's no alms or deeds. There's no good works that we can do to attain that righteousness. So what do we do for them? We're all lost. We can do nothing. But when the Spirit of God comes... And the Spirit of God has come and said, you're not saved and you must be ready. Should Jesus come or call, you, you must be ready. And so we see the Lamb of God dying for us. We see his blood shed for us. We see his, only, his payment as the only method means uh, for our sin. And we receive him. And what he has done and say, that is enough for me. Add nothing to it and believe with the faith that God has given us that Christ has paid it all. That's all in him. And there's nothing you can do. But those who reject him, those who turn away from him on that day, they can't say, well, I'll believe now for it's past. It's too late, you see. We are saved by grace through faith and it not of ourselves. It is a gift of God and not of works, lest any of us should boast. And so we have to believe that, that as the Bible tells us, the righteousness of God must clothe us. I need you to get this. Most many Christians don't even understand this. 
But many Christians don't even get this. That the day and the hour I stood at the foot of the cross by faith and cried unto the Lord Jesus Christ to save me a sinner. On the broad road of destruction, on the road to a, a devil's hell, I remember that I, sta- I stood there crying unto God, save me, for I couldn't save myself. And, and that moment was when the Holy Ghost was working on me. Telling me about the things of God. Showing me the things of God. Making me interested in the things of God. And I cried for mercy. And when I cried for mercy, at that moment, brother, at that moment, sister, when you did that, I listen. Righteousness that Christ alone has. Not any Christian. Not any man on the face of this earth or woman. The righteousness, here's the sinner crying for mercy. The righteousness of Christ comes upon the sinner. The sin of the sinner went on to Christ on the cross. He's paid it all. And so we are not on destruction, but we're kingdom bound. David, would you do that, child? Dear lover. So the righteousness of Christ comes on you. So when we trust Jesus, and on that day when we stand before Almighty God, and Christ is judging us all and seeing where we are, the Father is not going to say to you, well, you've drank so many beers or you've went to so many nightclubs, and he's not going to be saying to you, he's just going to see sin. If you're not saved, he just sees sin. He sees a rejection of his son. He sees the rejection of his son's death, that it wasn't enough for you. And the wisdom of men have maybe clouded our minds to think something different than the blood of Christ can save us. But when we are saved now, behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. When we're saved now, we find that the righteousness of Christ is upon us. We're no better than anybody else, but we're saved by grace for what he has done and accomplished for us. We are not more worthy. I'm not any more worthy of God's heaven than you are or you are than me or anyone else, but it's by grace. We are unworthy. It's unmerited favor. He came to us. I was on a broad road to destruction in my life. And here's me thinking I wasn't a bad fellow. I was, I was a deep-dyed, rotten, filthy sinner. I couldn't reach Christ. But he came to me. He came to me. When I couldn't come to where he was, he came to me. Your faith is personal and it's particular. It's peculiar. It is peculiar because it means you're his. The Holy Spirit, the agent of our faith, shows us that it's not by our church or any other means and method. Through Christ alone. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. Listen to what Paul says. This should be... The only thing that we have to say, God says, why should I let you into my kingdom? 
This is our only argument. This is our only plea. Paul says, For I delivered unto you that which I also received, that how Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. And that he was buried. And that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. So, Ken, why should you enter God's heaven, his kingdom? I shouldn't. But Jesus died for me according to the scriptures. Jesus was buried for me according to the scriptures. Jesus rose again the third day for me according to the scriptures. And Heavenly Father, that's all I have. I believe in Jesus. I have trusted him, given my life to him. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher, he used to preach, they say, to 10,000 on a Sunday. Imagine, no microphone. Must have had a voice like Big Iron. <laughs> Charles Haddon Spurgeon was on his deathbed. Seen thousands come to Christ. Done a great work for the Lord. And this is what he said on his deathbed. He said, tranquility and happy, though very weak, My theology is very simple. I can express it in a few words, and they are enough to die by. We're told he takes a pause in his weakness, takes a breath, and he slowly says, his theology entering into eternity. Four words. Christ died for me. Christ died for me. He didn't say, I preached to 10,000 every week. He didn't say, I have written thousands of sermons. He didn't say, I belong to the Baptist church. He said, Christ died for me. And that's the only thing will stand any of us. But when we know and receive that Christ has died for us, our faith is personal and it's peculiar. Let me show you how it's peculiar. In Titus chapter 2 and verse 14, it speaks of the Lord Jesus and it says, who gave himself for us. Who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Notice a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Notice, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us? It's personal. It's personal. That he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself. Here it is, particular. A particular people purify unto himself a particular people. And it, of course, then, it is peculiar. A peculiar people zealous of good works. It's particular because it's saving faith he gives us. He redeems us. He takes our iniquity. It's particular to us. If you have received Christ as a particular faith, It's the only faith one can have to enter heaven. None other. 
The word peculiar here, that he may purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works, it means one's own property. The word peculiar means one's own possession. In other words, when you've got saved and you've really trusted Christ with all your heart, you become his own property. You've become his own possession. And outside of Christ, you are not his own property and you're not his own possession. So those who are not his own property and not his own possession do not enter his own kingdom. But those who are his own property and his own possession, his peculiar people, then we enter his kingdom in that day. I ask you, are you Christ's own? We're birthed of God, born of the Spirit. And Jesus becomes the object of our faith. So our faith is personal, but the the idea here is it must be an object of faith. What is our faith in? It must be Christ alone. It must be from Christ alone and to Christ alone. Galatians chapter 2 and 20, Paul says, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Notice, personal, for me. Christ died for me. Gave himself for me. You can say that. He done it for me then you personally must receive it, believe it, live it, because he will only accept that. This faith is particular because it saves, it is peculiar because it keeps, and it is precious because it cost the Lord Jesus his own life. Now, This is important. This is precious because it cost the Lord Jesus his own life. I'll say it again. This is important because it cost the Lord Jesus his own life. Now you imagine... If you can, let's sanctify the imagination for a moment. You stand before God in that day. And the father says, what have you done with my son? He gave his life for you. You say, well, I didn't believe I rejected it. Men's wisdom got in the way. Then you've missed the saving part of God. You've missed the keeping part of God. You will not enter heaven. You've missed the power of the cross. And you'll not enter the kingdom. It cost Christ his life. Romans 1 and 17 tells us that just shall live by faith. We must have faith in his blood. Faith in the cross. Here, 1 Peter 1 and 5 says, We are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. God's power. Here's the sinner. Here is the, pardon me, here's your faith. Here is the wisdom of men. Here is the power of God. And if you let the wisdom of men, whether that be family members, ecclesiastical members, or church, denomination, 
If you let your own mentality and your own wisdom keep you from giving yourself to Christ at all times fully, then you'll find that you are still the sinner on the road to judgment. Sin, judgment, and the righteousness is up here in heaven. You cannot attain it lest you accept the righteousness of Christ. The wisdom of men is finite. It's only so much they know. Paul says your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men. It's finite. The wisdom of men is dependence upon experience. I note this. Those who are telling us there is no God. The Bible says the fool have said in their heart there is no God. Those who are procrastinating and holding back from coming to Christ because someone else might say different and say, I don't believe. Well, then let them not believe. And they're still on a road to judgment because they haven't attained righteousness. Because Christ has come with his righteousness that you might have it, that you might go to glory. Our faith that God is stirring in our hearts to receive Christ must not stand in the wisdom of men, nor work colleagues, nor family members, nor or ecclesiastical churches, nor denominations, nor our, no matter what it is, our own thinking. Because once it does, the power of God, the saving power of God does not reach the sinner. And why we are Christians in our faith, it does not reach us for the, the power of God in our life. The wisdom of men is finite, and the wisdom of men is dependent on experience. And listen, the wisdom of men always needs revision. But the wisdom of God is eternal. The wisdom of God is that which saves. The wisdom of God says, a lamb, the blood of a lamb. Jesus is the lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. And man can't see it because he's so wise in himself. How can a man who died on a cross save my soul to go to heaven? How can a man who died on a cross save my soul and forgive me of all my sin? How can his blood wash me? See, that's the wisdom of men. But when the Spirit of God causes you to think of the things of God, the wisdom of men must be pushed to the side that we may receive the power of God. Listen to what Plato said. You know the old philosopher, the Greek philosopher. Listen to what he said. A hero is born among a hundred. A wise man is found among a thousand. An accomplished one might not be found even among a hundred thousand men. Now listen. Plato, the old philosopher, said a hero, you'll find one among a hundred. A wise man may be among a thousand. But an accomplished one might not even find among a hundred thousand. What was Plato trying to tell us? What is Plato saying here? He's saying that, that, that there's always revision needed. There's not too many truly wise men. There may be a few more heroes than there are wise, but one who knows, who has an answer for all things, he says you'll not find him in a hundred thousand men. In other words, he doesn't know where you would find one. I know where you find one. His name's the Lord Jesus Christ. The Word of God incarnate in flesh. The Son of God and the Son of Man. He who hung and bled and died for us. So our faith must be in Christ alone. Isaiah chapter 2 verses 10 and 11 says these words. Enter into the rock and hide thee in the dust and fear 
the, for the fear of the Lord and for his, the glory of his majesty. Listen, for the lofty looks of man shall be humbled and the haughtiness of men shall be bowed down and the Lord shall be exalted. Listen, it doesn't matter if man does not believe in God, God still exists. And it doesn't matter if the wisdom of men do not, does not recognize God. God is still God. God is not needing us to defend him in the sense that he needs us to fight his battles. God is still God. He always will be. He always was. He's still God whether others believe or not. He's still the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he changes not whether we believe it or not. You see, a lot of the Greek gods, uh, the false gods, that is, they believed that they had to be prayed to in order to retain strength as a god. That was their... That was the Greeks' uh, way of worship. There's many gods and we pray to them to retain strength and if they don't get so much prayer, then one will be weaker than the other and so on and so on. And and listen, our God says, no, you pray to me for me to help you. You pray to me for me to save you. You pray to me for me to bless you, to anoint you, to encourage you. He says, I don't need you to carry me. I am God and there is none else. And whether feeble, fickle, frail man and his wisdom believes in God or not, he is still almighty God. And one day we'll stand before him. One day we will stand before him. I remember I was in pastoring in Dublin and I used to be out on the streets all the time. Busy, we were right in the center. There was people everywhere. I remember in the space of a few years, we give away 250,000 tracks. And the reason I know that is because we got them in batches of 10,000. And I remember one time I was out, I was giving out tracks just outside on the main road of St. Stephen's Green, going round by Grafton Street. And so I'm giving out a tract. This woman took one, she walked on, I seen her reading it. She stops, she turns back, she goes like that, and she takes my hand, she goes, does that to my hand. You can take that back. I don't believe in God. I said, okay. Thank you. And she went to walk away. I says, by the way, I says, do you know there's no unbelievers in hell? And she stopped. And she came back. She says, what did you say? She was really aggressive. I says, there's no unbelievers in hell. She says, are you not, tell, are you not the ones who tell us that if you don't believe, you go to hell? I says, oh, well, yes. Well, how's there no one believers in hell? I says, because they believe when they get there. But it's too late. We had a tract one time. And it says, what must I do to be saved on the front of it? Like the Philippian jailer had called out in Romans 16. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And then it says below it, what must I do to go to hell? And you opened it up and read across it, it said nothing. Nothing, because we're all going without Christ. They are a lake of fire. That's why he came to me, to you, to die on the cross. That's why. I'm going to finish. 
the power of God. The believer's faith does not originate from men or their ideas or philosophy. So then they cannot and do not rest on or stand in feeble, fickle, finite philosophy and wisdom of men. The faith of the believer does not rest on human reason, but on the testimony of God. Paul says this in our reading at the beginning of it. He came in the testimony of God. The testimony of saving grace, of deliverance, of healing, security in Christ, the kingdom of God, and the power of the blood of the Lamb. Power of God is the word power that we should stand, not in the wisdom of men, but the power of God. The word power is dunamis. Dunamis. That's where we get our word dynamite from. You and I, our faith is not in what men think or say. It's not in their philosophy. It's not in whether they believe or not. God is still God, so we push them aside and still trust in his power. Believe in the power of the cross and believe in the, as it were, the dynamite of the, the word of God, the dynamite of God. The word dunamis means strength or inherent power. And listen to this as we round this up to close. Dunamis means strength or inherent power. In other words, it's a power residing in a thing by virtue of its nature or which a person or a thing exerts and puts forth. Let me give you an example. If you had a great big army coming, you see maybe horses, or even modern day you see tanks, and you see the, you know, you see the thousands of troops armed to the teeth with all their rifles and machine guns and all their heavy weaponry and their shells and all of that. That is inherent power. You know why? You see, there's the power. They're given a show of strength, but they're not exerting it until they go to battle. They're not actually firing rockets and they're not exploding things off and they're not firing machine guns. In other words, it's here. They're saying, here's our power. It's inherent power. That's dunamis. That's dunamis. Or for example, if you go to a sportsman or a sportswoman, say they're a tennis player and they're playing and you see the power as they move from side to side, their skill, their agility, and as they hit the ball at so many miles per hour and and whenever they're doing this, you see that inward strength and power they have. But when they walk off that court, they're just the man, they're just the woman. That's dunamis. That's the inherent power of the nature of someone or something. Okay, so what we're looking at is the power that's inherent in God and can only be activated like a stick of dynamite. I could set it here. I wouldn't want to, but I could set one here and it would be relatively safe until we light the fuse. But once we light the fuse, let's get out quick. Let's get out as fast as we can. The inherent power is about to ignite and explode. That's dunamis. So our faith, the wisdom of men comes and says, no, that's not possible and God won't do that and God won't answer that prayer and that's not going to happen and there is no God or there is no kingdom of God, there is no blood, there is no Jesus, there is and, and all that wisdom or let's do it this way, let's do ceremonies let's do sacrifices, let's do whatever, let's work to enter heaven, let's do all of these things, that's the wisdom of men 
The wisdom of men also, your wisdom and my wisdom, when we take God out of the equation for what is happening. That's why Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not on to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Because we see things and say it's impossible. Wisdom of men says it's impossible. But when we say we're not listening or standing in what the wisdom of men are, our wisdom as well, but the power of God, the power that's inherent in Christ, the power of the Holy Ghost in our lives. We say then we have the dynamite of the Word of God, the authority of the Word of God. It's the power of God unto salvation, Paul tells us. Not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God, the dynamis, the dynamite of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth. So here's the power of God to bring us into salvation. The power of God to keep us in the way. It's the power of God to keep us going in faith. It's the power of God to see things change, to see things happen, to see the miraculous in our world and in our life. And how do we ignite the fuse? Through prayer and calling on the name of the Lord. And our faith. The Lord Jesus said, you shall receive power dunamis after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you in the day of Pentecost. And what happened? The Spirit came. And they all began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Our Father, it's art in heaven. Hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. The dunamis, thine is the power. So what's standing between your faith and the power of God? Wisdom, what men think, the impossibilities, wisdom of men, your own wisdom, put it to the side. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not to your own understanding. And in all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll direct your paths. God bless his word to us this morning. Thank you for your attention.